This is Daniela Parra chatting for The Beacon Waves, and today we have an amazing and inspiring guest, Cindy Rivero, who is a sex trafficking survivor and her story just leaves you speechless. So hi, Cindy. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing good. Thank you so much for inviting me. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? Well, I was born and raised in Costa Rica. I've heard it's beautiful. I've actually visited myself. So just to get to know you a little better, what are some words that you would say describe you? I am a family person. I love to be at home. I prefer to eat at home. I'm not a fast food person. (laughs) Um, I love the outdoors. I'm in love of uh, wild animals. I'm always trying to interact with them. Um, I'm very caring. I love to jog um, and gardening. That's like my favorite thing to love gardening. Interesting. I love that. And so kind of just diving right in, how was your life growing up? I come from a very violent marriage. I was the first of three children they had. My father used to hit my mom. It got to a point where I was the person, you know, the little child who actually take care of her. I took her to the hospitals and everything. That was like two, three times a week. So it was very traumatic. It was definitely a rough childhood. Transitioning from your youth to now, I know that you're a mother. I know that you have some kids. So how has that experience been? Well, by the time that I was 14, my goal was just to move out of the house. By the age of uh, 17, I decided that I was going to get pregnant. And I met a man who was 30 years older than me, um, that he wanted to take care of me, like marriage me and everything. So I had him and two kids, which I love, of course. Uh, we lived together for maybe four years. And after that, um, he cheated on me. So I went on my own with my two kids. Okay, so let's get into your story. What was that initial situation that led to the course of unfortunate events? How did it all begin? Well, as I was telling before, um, the father of my kids cheated on me and he was older than me. He had a lot of influences and everything. So we started fighting the custody. And I used to work uh, in a call center in Costa Rica and he just suddenly disappeared. I started battling throat cancer and I ended up losing my job because some days I had my voice and some others I didn't. I couldn't even speak. So I ended up losing, uh, losing my job. And um, while I was working uh, and living with my two kids, I met an American girl um, in my country, everything in my country. And we became friends. She had one daughter. I had my two kids, one son and a daughter. And I was struggling a lot. And she decided that, you know, it would be a good idea just to become uh, roommates. And it makes sense for me financially. And I already know her for a maybe year, year and a half of work and everything. So we end up uh, being roommates. She got to know all my family members, uh, my kids, you know, the father of my kids' family, uh, my friends. Uh, she understood that my father was a political figure in Costa Rica. and She got to know everything, absolutely everything. I just consider her like my own sister. After a while, she decided to go back to uh, United States because her child was about to become, um, you know, a, for a pre-K a student and she wanted her kid to be educated right here in the United States. So she left Costa Rica and um, I was living by my own and I couldn't met anything. Like I couldn't even buy food for my kids. I remember 
leaving my kids one weekend uh, at the nanny's uh, house because I didn't have anything to give them to eat. At that desperate moment uh, became um, something that I had to experience daily. Um, again, I didn't even spoke to my dad because I would just run away. And so that door was closed. And after maybe like a year, year and a half, uh, I decided to open an account in Facebook. And three or four days after, I received a friendship request. And it was my friend, that old friend that used to be my roommate. Uh, we just started talking about how was uh, her life, you know, back in the United States and how was my life. And so she decided to provide me an opportunity. What I thought it was just, you know, an extra help from a lover person. And uh, she told me that her mother-in-law was looking for a nanny, a babysitter, because uh, she wanted to take the whole family to New York City for New Year's Eve and that she was going to talk to her. So instead of hiring somebody, she will give me the job. And so that's how I ended up being here in the United States. When you arrived to the United States, what happened after that? What did you actually encounter? Well, as soon as I arrived at the airport, which was Washington, D.C., uh, Regan, I, I found out myself in a weird situation. Uh, like no one was there, like no one to pick me up. And I was calling and calling my friend and no one answered the phone. And so the first uh, red flag started. But I ignored it because I knew who I was going to. Now I know it was the first red flag, but I just ignored it. And so after like an hour and a half, maybe three hours, um, I was actually thinking to go back when I heard my name. Somebody was calling my name and it was the person who was hiring me, supposedly, you know, her mother-in-law. And she started telling me, like, just come walk like you are making me lose money and time and I'm just making you a favor. Um, that was my second red flag, you know, but I I was just scared. I grew up in an environment where um, you just follow what people said. You never even second guess or uh, guess or question what they're telling you to do. You were friends. You guys were roommates for so long. Why would you think anything else? Exactly. And everything was so familiar. I'm not dealing with a person that she knows. I'm dealing with the mother-in-law a person that she grew up, that she has more than 10 years of knowing. So I started following her because I made her mad. And I, of course, did not want that. So we went to the car and she took me uh, to her house. And we started going in the car. And I remember seeing this roundabout. And I remember the first time I see it, it was really, really nice because it was like a soldier riding a horse so we got out of the roundabout and then suddenly I see the same roundabout and again and again like at the fifth time I remember telling the person like hey I think we are lost and in in that exact moment the phone uh ran and uh she told me like oh no no we are not lost I know where we are I just I was waiting for something and then another text came in and another came uh, came and then she passed the phone and then she told me um you are not here to babysit my daughter or my grandchild there is people who study for being a teacher and there's so many teachers in this country and I will not put my child in somebody else and instead of somebody educated like you are very naive uh your friend didn't even have the face to go and pick you up at the airport that's why I was late 
because she didn't even tell you why you are here. And so I have to break the news. Open uh, that text message. And when I opened it, it was a picture of my son. He was at school. And in order to take that picture, you had it to be inside the school. And uh, on the first wall of the school, from where the gate is, actual school, you know, there's like a front yard and it's so long that this person had it to be inside the premises just to take that picture. And I could see my son. I can see that he had it. He was writing something. And then I saw another picture of my daughter uh, coming to her, to her class, just getting into her class. And then I used to be uh, married uh, and I saw a picture of my ex-husband uh, getting out from work. She told me that I was going to please her friends sexually and that in order for me to be sure that the most caring thing that I had it back in Costa Rica were going to be untouched, I was going to comply with her. And then she dragged me to an apartment where um, she told me that there were some friends already waiting for me and she got me inside and all this time I'm thinking it's going to be a bad really bad joke of my friend when we got in there she told me to put my luggage in a closet she walked me in into that room I remember seeing at the corner on the right corner a lamp and the light of that lamp it was red and that's when I started getting scared I remember my whole body shaking I kind of knew in that moment but I still didn't want it I opened the closet because she told me to put the luggage in there. And I still, I just thought my friend was going to jump out of there. And when I opened it, it's just baby dolls and high heels and lingerie. And I look at her and then she start undressing me. And she start telling me, my friend is just there. And you have to put the hand like this. He's going to give you money. And she was talking and talking and talking. And all this time, it's like, when you're watching a movie where you see this actor that is disassociating uh, from himself and you cannot hear everything going like further and further away, that actually happens. <laughs> and so I was right there. And I remember that she started dragging me outside because I couldn't move. I couldn't walk. I was just petrified. And she told me, do you want me to show you the photos again? And that's when I snapped and I started going after her, you know, behind her. And then there was a knock at the door. She opened the door and it was this huge tall person. And she told him, this is a new girl, you know what to do. He closed the door and then he told me, I am a breaker. There is more people like me. I am like a trainer. I'm going to tell you exactly what to do, how to put your hand, how much you have to like receive, how to open the door, how to close the door. You need to give her the money. Don't keep anything. Whatever she's telling you that she's going to do, take it serious. She's not joking around. And then he gave me money. And that was my first client that day. And that day, I actually counted 10 guys. Uh, I remember just arriving at around five. And by 10, I already seen 10 different people. And um, I was not allowed to eat. Um, I started at 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. There were people outside. I remember opening 
the door after she left the first day. And as soon as I opened, somebody blinked the lights of the car. And then she called me. I didn't even know that there was a phone in there. And then I answered the call and she said, like, don't even try to do it again. We're watching you. I left, but we're watching you. And 10 days of that, that was my first trip. And throughout this process, tell me about a, a time frame. How long did this last? That trip was 10 days. Um, I, I knew already that it was going to be a 10 days vacation trip. Um, and they gave me the flight ticket for 10 days. On the last day, she took me to the mall. She expended a lot of money in gifts and everything. And she just told me that it was going to be very suspicious. I just went back home without anything. So I just felt, oh my God, I became a prostitute and I'm going back home. That's it. It was so surreal to you. Where were your kids? Did you have any knowledge of what was happening with your kids? During those seven days, I'm sorry, 10 days, she didn't allow me to call. She was just telling me that they were okay. She was showing me pictures at all times about the things they were doing. So I knew exactly where we were. I knew they were following their schedules. I knew that. So I had just assumed they were, they were okay. And going back home, you were traumatized. But did you want to speak out immediately? Were you scared to say anything? I was terrified i got out of the airport and i remember my ex-husband picking me up and everybody will say like hey right there say something i was so ashamed i had in my mind what my trafficker just told me which i didn't knew that she was my you know i didn't know by that time that she was my trafficker i didn't have that concept i didn't didn't know about human trafficking back then so i was ashamed and I was married to this person, but I sleep with a lot of people. I couldn't even count how many people in that week. And that was even worse. So how do you say hi to a person and throw a bump like that? I couldn't. So when I got home, I was, you know, like the whole um, trip to the house, the whole way I was just thinking, how am I going to start this conversation? But when I just got there, at the very moment I got there, I saw this car that it was, um, park across the street and as soon as I uh, my husband started opening the gate to go to the door this person a male got out of the car and everything he called my name and I said yes um this is me and then he gave me an envelope and he said like hey um Hazel's that's my trafficker's name I'm Hazel's brother and I'm the person who took those pictures that's when it really hit me like, I knew what it was going on, but I thought it was a past. It was history. That was it. I was thinking not to talk to my friend again in my life. Like, I, at that point, I knew she's not my friend. That's it. I'm going to forget this. Never going to happen again. I'm not going to that place. I'm changing my phone number. I'm moving. I was planning everything. But then this person comes in and gives me an envelope and tells me that he's the one taking the picture. He told me, like, there is another ticket in there because she really liked how you babysitted. And so make sure you get into that airplane and I'll make sure that you, your husband and your kids are okay. They night whether you are in here or not. I sleep over, of course, but the next day, you know, I felt that I needed to do something. And I went to the court of my country and I explained what happened to me and 
they told me that I had to go to the closest clinic, you know, the hospital and take a, a STD test. And if everything was negative, that I just had to go with those results and go to the police and tell them that I wanted to be a prostitute. And so I can have a, a, a carnet, an ID as a prostitute and that I can choose whatever corner of my country I wanted. Um, they informed me that prostitution was illegal and that I didn't have it to make up any stories in order to become a prostitute, that I can just be a proud prostitute wherever corner I wanted. And to be really, really grateful in life that I was actually being an escort instead of a costuring or prostitute because I was earning more. So they didn't even believe you. They didn't even try to help you. They just no. bashed you. They threw it in your face and told you that this can be your job and you should be proud of it. Pretty much. What did you feel in that moment? I felt like I was trapped, like, again, in a movie, you see these kind of things in a movie, and you never, ever think that's going to happen to you, because who are you? Just a small little thing, you're not, not important, you're not doing anything in the world, really, uh, super, super important to be in that situation. So I felt so ashamed, I remember just putting my hoodie on and just run out of that court and going home I just thought this is just my life and my kids life and my husband my family is in danger and I'll be in that airplane I'll be there so you were willing to sacrifice yourself to be able to save your family yeah I was doing that for my kids tell me about the ending what is the light, the, the way that you were able to escape this, how did it all finish? Well, it, it, uh, it was not before six and a half years. I lost the custody of my kids. I have never seen them again. After only three months of the first trip, my traffickers that, uh, started demanding me to cut off uh, talking to my siblings, my mother, my father. Um, they prohibited me to have a husband. I had to divorce my husband. They, after that, uh, request me to give up the custody of my kids, uh, which I prefer to do it back then because um, what's the point of having risk? Uh, so I just give it up um, because it was what they wanted, but it was the safest thing for them. Um, after a long time um, of being trafficked, you start wondering uh, what is it worth to live for. My clients were policemen, were people from the White House, lawyers, judges, firefighters, doctors, people that you should go for help. And so who can I ask for help? Who? Um, I end up trying to suicide so many times that Last time I tried a suicide, um, it was a completely different me from when it started. It started back in 2010. And I'm talking about 2016. It's June 2016, and I'm in the hospital. And I'm not talking to everybody. No one knows why I tried a suicide. I'm not eating. I'm getting everything through my veins. I don't want visits. It's a whole fight. I just lost hope, and I just wanted to die. I actually felt so like a failure, like a loser, just because I couldn't even kill myself. I remember having that thought. And one day, a male nurse 
came in. It was his first day and I was there like for maybe two weeks. And then he told me, your face is so familiar. And I'm like, this is crazy. He's probably my client. That's what I'm thinking. Like he's one of my clients. And he passed another day, passed another day. After the first day, he goes like, I know who you are. And then I'm like, oh, great. There's a client trying now. He's going to sex me up right, right here in the hospital. The last thing I, I need. He goes, I was there in Jacksonville, in that hospital, when you were admitted. And I want to know if that's you. And I'm like, no. He goes like, yeah, it's you. I checked. That was you. I also checked that that was the second time, not the first time. So you lied to us. And I also checked. This is not your first time you lied to this hospital as well, which I already told them. And I have your charts for other hospitals. And I couldn't recognize you because you used to weigh 150 pounds and you are coming here with 100 pounds. You don't speak your skeleton. You walk, but you're walking like uh, with your look down and what's going on, like what's really going on. And I just ignore him, uh, just dismiss everything and tell him that it was crazy idea, blah, blah, blah. Three days after, he said, like, well, this is a new week and I'm going to tell you about my weekend. I've been so caught up into work and doing my own research and everything that um, I was missing some classes. So I had to go uh, and do some uh, seminar for an credit, uh, for extra credits. And they were talking about modern slavery. And I'm not talking to him, right? I'm barely looking at him. He was just next to me and it was like 3 a.m. in the morning. And I couldn't sleep. Nothing is working, not even medicine, which is really weird for the doctor, right? I'm like the top of the medicine, nothing is working. So something yeah. has to be wrong with me. This person is telling me about modern slavery and I'm thinking like, oh my God, like make the medicine kick out so I can go to sleep, make him shut up. And then he started describing everything that he learned. I was not crazy when I went to Costa Rica and I said, they were forcing me to do this. That's the day. I felt hurt. Someone finally cared for me. And he gave me a list of places that I should call in order to start healing. I couldn't believe what I just heard about this uh, with, you know, from this nurse and everything. And so I decided that I was going to start <laughs> communicating, that I was going to eat, that I was going to take my meds, that I was going to participate. I was going to do everything I already knew yeah. they wanted <laughs> for me to get out in order for me to actually get out. And the first thing I did is I actually decided that if they kill me, they kill me. But I was going to call 911. And so I did. And I finally contacted the FBI, which after four years of investigation, uh, apprehended my trafficking. And that turning point for you was speaking to that nurse that night. Somebody told me I was a victim. I just thought I put myself in a situation to become a prostitute. I knew I was not asking for it. I understood that. But when you're hearing that over and over and over and over from every single corner, you just accept who you are, supposedly, which I already accepted that I was a prostitute, not even a good mother. And hearing that you weren't, that you really were a victim, that clicked in your head and that changed your perspective. And I think that that's what a lot of victims need to hear. And one of the reasons why speaking out is so important because they do lose sight of who they are. How have you been able to cope with your emotions, with that trauma? 
Well, I was carry on uh, for a long time, uh, child trauma, you know. So by the time that I um, asked for help, FBI put me into a victim's program. And so I started my healing therapy, trauma therapy and all the stuff. I not only did uh, counseling, I had it to work uh, four different days a, a week with different therapies to address that. And tell me in that moment that you realized that you were escaping this, that you were free, that you called 911 and you could put that behind you. What did you feel? After I hung up talking uh, to them, I just thought, oh, my God, I just made the worst mistake of my life. Because what if they don't put all the evidence and what if they don't um, put her in jail? What if she find out that I say something? What is she going to do to my kids? Did I actually put them in more risk now? So it was worse, actually. That feeling stopped the moment the FBI called me and said, hey, I'm, I'm downstairs to your job. Come to the parking lot. We have a good news. And when I knew that my trafficker was in jail, that's when I knew that the police believed me. Regaining your security, your trust, who you are, your worth, it takes time and a lot of work and a lot of community to show you again that these bad people is just a pass is a bad moment out of your whole life. And also as a survivor, uh, you need to understand that what happened to you is your past, but it changed who you are. So you cannot pretend to become the person you were before that happened. As you speak about moving forward and taking that step to use what happened to you, to use that horrible experience and be able to turn it into something good, Um, I know it's something really hard to talk about and it's an experience that can be very difficult to speak on, but why don't you kind of tell us how it has been being a sex trafficking survivor and speaking out on that? How do you feel about that? Well, I can tell you that that idea at the very beginning was something I was very opposed to um, because I just thought that's my personal life. Why should I just go and like you know for everybody to know but when I started my therapy um, after a long and long months of understanding that um, I was not the only one I started um, a meeting um, going to a group where other survivors were and that's where I understood that I was not alone definitely that I was not the only one I was not as unique as I thought I was and I felt that I was and by expressing and telling my own personal story, which is different as everybody else, but there's a lot of things in common, I got to understand that not only me, I heal myself by saying it, but I also discovered that the same way I discovered that I was not by myself, the other person is discovering that too. I know that you've created a podcast called Cindy's Voice. Tell us about that. When did you start that and how has the journey been? By sharing my story, I can actually help somebody to understand that what they are passing through looks like, fit likes, might be what I pass through, and that that person can know that you can do something about it. We have always thought about like me talking about it. I would say like, no, in that moment, I would be speechless. I would be voiceless. I can't verbalize because I always cry. I started dreaming I started thinking about it and I'm like my voice how can I tell people what happened 
And so I decided to create a podcast, a podcast where they can not only understand what happened to me, but they can hear the different stories of different survivors. The only way to stop this to continue happening is to tackle that demand. So how do we tackle that demand if it's not but educating? I was a victim and I didn't even know that I was a victim of a crime. I thought I was doing this by choice. Lack of choice, but it's still choice. That's what I thought. When I learned that that was not actually what happened, that the lack of choice and they taking advantage of me and luring me with the words they did and trapping me in that way, it's not fair, it's a crime. That's when I decided to do something about it. My trafficking is not trafficking people because I actually reported somebody believed in me. They did the job and justice was made. DM me, you can contact me through Seeing This Voice podcast and I'll make sure someone rescue you in a really, really safe way. The lack of knowledge is what really makes women so naive. And so by you being able to speak out, you're saving thousands and thousands of women. What advice can you give for somebody who is afraid to seek help and doesn't know how to? What would be their first step? I think you need to comprehend that you are in danger. You need to get yourself out of that, but you cannot rush it. You need to trust your instincts. If you want to ask for help, you can go online. You can ask for help and then delete the history information so they don't find out that you are looking for help. You just have to decide that you want out and we will make sure we will rescue. Tell me, how are you now? Where do you see yourself now? Where do you see yourself in the future? Not remarried? I did. And, and what about your kids? What, what happens now? Well, the sentence my trafficker got, it was only 30 months. My kids are adults by now. I do not have a relationship with them. I know about them through my family because I fear for their life still. My trafficker is going to get out in January, so I don't know how she's going to react. More likely, she knows I did what I did. <laughs> uh, of course, she's going to be advised not to get in contact and everything, but you never know. So I don't want to expose them. So I maintain my distance with them. They're doing okay and everything, which is just fine. And I'm just grateful to know that. And it's a sacrifice that you've made, but it shows how much you, you do care about them. Yeah. And I just became more active in the advocacy uh, work. I go and speak in communities, in churches, in schools and uh, high schools um, regarding my story. And kind of Going off based of what you were just saying, what is something that more women should be aware of in regards to this sex trafficking? Well, I always said um, there is a lot of young people that are dressing inappropriate, like they are older, and suddenly they suddenly change the way they they dress, and suddenly you see them with uh, brands, you know, with a micro course a purse and and these other brands, but they cannot actually explain how they get it, you know. That is a constant red flag. The way you dress, you know, at what time you always get out. How many cell phones uh, do you have in your purse? I used to work, I used to have my friends and everything, and um, every five, three minutes I had to get out 
to answer a call. And I never answer when people were there. I just ignore it and everything. Those are red flags. So um, those are the most like uh, shiny and more visible things I can tell you. As a community, how can we as society help and support sex trafficking survivors? There is something that I value the most and it is um, community help. We need to stop judging people. Just don't even make an idea why this person put themselves into that situation because unless it happens to you, you're going to find out that you don't put yourself. They choose you. They come to you. They find a way to talk to me. I didn't know my trafficker was my trafficker, but she spent five and a half years studying me and my family before she asked me to go babysit her daughter and, you know, the sister-in-law. Five, five years. So that was the study. And I was an adult. So can you imagine what happens with children? You need to be open-minded and you need to donate. Sometimes we don't know how to help somebody, but maybe financially we can do that. Try to donate to local nonprofits because the local nonprofits know exactly where to do services, provide services, where to refer somebody, and they do help people from your local communities. If you see signs of somebody being trafficked, tell this person, whenever you feel you need help, just let me know. So my advice, if you think somebody is a victim, if you want to help, call 911. Tell them what you are thinking. They are going to send detectives that are going to pass like just worker, you know, somebody working like that, but they're going to start uh, investigating. And kind of speaking... And statistics, I know a lot of women disregard the statistics and don't realize how much of a large population is being sex trafficked. Like, why don't you explain a little bit about that? Yes, I can tell you that um, 200,000 children are lured into human trafficking each year. And if we talk locally, I'm going to tell you that the stats are that Miami is the city, number one city in the Florida that has more sex trafficking because of the tourism. Don't you think that people need to be more informed? And I believe that schools should teach more about this. This should be a more vocalized topic. I think it's so hidden because it's something, like you said, people don't like to talk about it. It makes people comfortable. It makes people feel ashamed to be a part of such a disgusting society. But the only way we can fight that is by speaking about it. Cindy, why don't you tell us a little bit how rewarding the podcast has been and the testimonials that you have received? Well, I never thought that I was going to receive this, but I have people contacting me from England, from Ukraine, from Spain, from countries from Latin America, like Colombia, from Panama. Um, I got contact with uh, from two different universities, one from Colombia and another one from Panama, to tell me that they base their education of their college uh, based on what my podcast says and that they investigate and that they are like basing that education at that college on the podcast. And uh, I had a survivor um, of human trafficking from another country who told me that she didn't even know that she was being trafficked and that a friend told her to tune in into my podcast because uh, she was concerned about her and asking a lot of questions and that she find out that she was a victim and that she find the courage of, uh, you know, 
having some money. Uh, she said, I'm going for the grocery store, which she already gained the trust of the trafficker and she never come back. That's amazing how your podcast has given other women courage. You have been able to portray your courage and has, and you have given that to other women. Thank you so much, Cindy, for sharing your story with us here today, for being a voice for the victims who don't have one or who are too scared to speak out and continue doing this amazing work because you truly are an inspiration to so many women and to so many people around the world. Oh, thank you so much for thank you so much for the invitation. I really 